It was probably a little over 10 years ago that uh, I had the, uh, the privilege of going out to Scottsdale, Arizona um, for a, a spiritual retreat. Um, it was part of, uh, part of my studies and went to a, a Franciscan monastery out there and spent a lot of time meditating on God's word, a lot of time uh, praying, studying the scriptures. And I remember one day as we were talking about all the things to, uh, to experience in, in terms of this retreat, somebody said to us, um, what you really need to do is climb up Camelback Mountain and watch the sunrise. And um, I happen to be an early riser. And when you are in that time zone, being an early riser means it's really easy to get up before sunlight. So I got up stupid early in the morning and... Uh, I'm told that there's a problem. Oh, the microphone popped open. All right. Well, that's recorded for posterity. That's awesome. <laughs> I'll just start over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we're going to climb up uh, Camelback Mountain. And uh, got up stupid early in the morning and uh, started walking out. We had, had a little flashlight. And uh, if you know the terrain out there, it's just... It's, rocky and dusty and walking up these dusty paths and working our way up to the top. And then you, you get up there in this long, dark walk and all of a sudden the sun crests and it's like glory just breaks into the sky. You know, you have this dusty, dusty walk standing in, in, in you know, just really, you know, there's no grass on the top or anything like that. It's just dust and rock and boom, glory. In our gospel reading today, we read about Jesus revealing his glory. This is a picture of Mount Hermon. And uh, um, this is where we think that Jesus was transfigured. We think it because uh, it, it talks about where he was at in Jerusalem, or not in Jerusalem, in Israel, and uh, that he was kind of close to this, so it's as good a guess as any. He was on a mountain, and, uh, and he was up there with Peter, James, and John. And they walked up these dusty sides of the mountain together, just four guys. You know, in the first century, they're probably wearing sandals and got dusty feet. Feet, yeah, that's a word. <laughs> this is one of my better sermons. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> And they're up there seeking out some solitude. They're looking for a time of prayer. It's a very normal moment. Dusty trails, dusty feet. Four men, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And there they go. You know, Luke records a, a genealogy for Jesus. Uh, Matthew does too and takes him back to Abraham. Uh, but in, in Luke's gospel, he goes all the way back to Adam. And you remember that Adam, when God created Adam, he formed him out of the dust of the earth. And, and, and that's, our, that's our history too, that we, we are in a sense children of dust. And we're going to remember that on Ash Wednesday. You know, we'll put the sign of the cross on your forehead if you let us and, and say you, you are dust and to dust you shall return. And 
Up this path, these dusty paths, walks Jesus, the son of Adam, the son of man, fully human, and he's there to pray. And and as Jesus prayed, all of a sudden, there's glory. And we see him not just as the son of man, but as the son of God. Because what was underneath that, that dust, it, it kind of glimpses out for a moment. It says that he was transformed, that his clothes became bright, bright white. One of the other gospels says that his face actually shone. Light. His glory is coming out in that moment. And as he's standing there, he's talking with two Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah. Maybe you've heard of them? Incredible, important prophets of the Old Testament. And it really struck me as I was studying this. Often, you know, we have kind of this hierarchy of who goes to whom, right? If the boss calls you and wants a conversation with you, it's usually you get up and you go to him. Well, for Moses, Moses was the boss, and and people often came. They lined up to see him. Elijah was this incredible prophet, and and people wanted to hear him speak. And they don't say to Jesus, hey, come here. We want to talk to you. Jesus is there, and they they come to him because we're seeing a, a glimpse of Jesus' divinity here. A moment where we see him as as God. As he shines in this this glory. And these two people, these two important people, they represent parts of Jesus' ministry. We read a little bit about Moses in our Old Testament lesson. But remember, remember how God used him. That God used Moses to lead his people out of slavery. They were in slavery to Egypt, and God, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, used Moses to bring plagues on the people of of Egypt in order to to bring his people out of that land. And do you remember what the, the, the last, the greatest, the worst of those plagues was? It was the death of the firstborn son. And here stands Jesus with Moses, and he is there to lead his people out of slavery, not to a country, but out of slavery to sin. And how is he going to do it? By the death of the firstborn son. As he gives his own life, the only begotten son of God lays down his life to lead you out of slavery, to free you from sin and death. And Elijah, Elijah was this powerful prophet. Amazing things that God did in his ministry. We're actually going to spend some time during the Lenten season, those Wednesday services, looking at the life and ministry of Elijah. But one of the most famous accounts that maybe you remember from Sunday school was when Elijah had a showdown with the prophets of Baal. The people of Israel, they were, they were kind of torn between two, two gods, actually a bunch of gods, but the true God, and in this situation, a God called Baal. And he challenges the prophets of Baal to a competition. And he tells the people, 
Why do you keep going back and forth between these gods? Either God is the real God or Baal is. And so this is what we're going to do. The God who can bring down fire to consume the sacrifice, that's the real God. Worship him. And so he sets it up and they, they build their altars. And, and you might remember there were 400 prophets of Baal and they danced around and they cry out and they do all these crazy things like cutting themselves. And does Baal bring down fire from heaven to consume the, uh, the, the sacrifice? Nope. And Elijah stands there. He's like, man, this is just too easy. And he builds the altar and he puts the, the wood on it and he puts the sacrifice on it. He's like we got to do something a little more challenging. We need a whole bunch of water. Never mind that they're going through a drought. And they bring gallons and gallons of water, and they pour it on the sacrifice. They dug a ditch around the altar. It's full of water. And he prays just one simple prayer. And boom, God brings down fire, and he consumes the sacrifice. And in that moment, what Elijah was doing was he was recapturing the hearts of God's people. To worship the true God. And just as Jesus came to be the firstborn who died to, to redeem us and to lead us out of slavery, he comes to recapture our hearts. To recapture the hearts of God's people so that we would follow him. So that we would live in his forgiveness and salvation. We would trust in him. In, in all the things and the circumstances of life. Jesus is the fulfillment of, of this work that they did. And it struck me as I'm thinking about all of this that I have heard this story told for something like 46 consecutive years. And have you ever noticed how when you hear a story over and over again, at some point you stop listening? Yeah, yeah, I got that. And I would put the question before you today. How do you, how do we respond to Jesus' transfiguration? Because I don't think this should just be a, yeah, yeah, I got that moment. And I see three, three ways that we might respond in the text here. One is to do like Peter did. He kind of wakes up and he's like, whoa, this is cool. It's good, Lord, that we're here. Let's build three shelters and just stay here. To just kind of soak it in. You know, I mean, he is basking in God's glory. Is it a good thing to bask in God's glory? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it enough to just sit back and let God be God and let him pour out his gifts on you? Yeah, it actually is. To just sit back and rejoice in what God is doing. He's given us forgiveness, life, and salvation. It's good to just sit back and bask in that. But is that all that God has planned for you? No. I think it's absolutely fine for us sometimes to just sit back and, Lord, I'm just going to receive what you're given. But he has more for us. He has a purpose and a mission for our lives. And, and you know, notice that Peter, James, and John, when they came off of the mountain, 
Did they tell anybody about it? No. So they had this incredible gift that God had given them, and they just kind of held it to themselves, at least at first. But remember that while they were up there on the mountain, Peter says, good Lord to be here. There's a cloud that rolls in, right? And God speaks to them from the cloud. And he says to them, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Parents, have you ever been in a situation where, you know, you're talking to your child and you just like want to grab them along the face and say, listen to me. When you say listen to me, do, do you think that that means, okay, I heard the words. Off I go. Listen to me means hear the words that I am saying. Let them go through your ears, into your mind, into your heart, and live by them, right? That's what God is saying to Peter, James, John, and to you and to me. This is my son, Jesus, my chosen one, the Messiah, the Savior. Listen to him. During, the Lent, we, during Lent, we have this tradition of giving things up. Um, it, it's good and it's fine. Um, fasting is a good, good habit. Um, I encourage you to take something on. Take some time to listen to Jesus during the season of Lent. I've mentioned before that for my devotions, uh, I'm spending a lot of time, I'm just reading the Gospel of Luke. I'm, I'm planning to read it multiple times over the year and to just keep going over it, to listen. To listen to what God is saying to us, to, to listen to, to Jesus as he speaks in this book. Not just so that the words go into my head, but so that they go into my heart and they go out into my life. I encourage you to take time to do the same. Whether it's Luke, John, Mark, I don't care. But spend some time listening to Jesus and and let Jesus then work through that word to transform your life. And then, it's really as a corollary to that, follow Jesus. After the cloud went away, Peter, James, and John, they look at Jesus and, and he looks normal again. The dust has kind of covered up the glory, so to speak. And even though it doesn't record the words, something like this probably happened where Jesus says, well, let's go. And Jesus walks down off the mountain. And they follow him. Jesus still goes out into the world. He's not just here. He's not just present when we come together here. He's at work. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to see. It requires faith to see it sometimes. But he's at work out there in the world. He calls us to follow him back into the dust. And yeah, there will be moments where there'll be flashes of glory. We'll, we'll see it when a baby gets baptized. We'll see it in that moment where, when, when you resist temptation ever so falteringly. 
We'll see it in those moments where we love one another. We'll see it in those moments where, where we gather around, we receive Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Just glimpses while we walk in the dust. But Jesus is at work in it, leading us and guiding us. And thanks be to God that the glory of Jesus is at work in you. Amen.